How's it going, everybody? My name is Christian Wagner, and this is Militant Thomas. How you doing? I'm doing good. Alhamdulillah. How about you? I'm uh, I'm doing great. What did you What did you just say? Um, Alhamd- alhamdulillah. It means all praises be to God. Oh, okay, okay. Because I thought you just yeah. said like it sounded kind of like hum dum dum. No, no, no. It's probably the mask. It's probably the mask. Yeah, you need to you need to make sure you like add extra like um <laughs> what like what's the like gurgly sort of throat like the ha. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to really emphasize my, yeah, my, yeah, my chaz. That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the uh, objective. <laughs> yeah. So, so for everybody, uh, everybody watching, this is gonna be a little bit atypical because this isn't a normal interview session where I just ask him questions because he'll actually be uh, questioning some things that I believe in. So, um, we're gonna be kind of going back and forth, trying to. Um, get a brief bit of understanding of both Catholicism and Shia Islam. So um, that's, that's about all you need to know. And uh, would you give a little bit of background for those who aren't familiar with you? Yeah. So my name's Alex. My name's not a lie. Thankfully, my name is Alex, uh, birth name and all. Uh, uh, So I was born to a very secular family. My family is still extremely secular. Um, Around, we have, I'm thinking through the math now. 2018, late 2018, I, I started looking into Christianity uh, more seriously, and I uh, became uh, an Eastern Orthodox Christian. Uh, uh, and I eventually got to the stage of the catechumenate. And then about last year, during the uh, month of uh, Ramadan, which is uh, the spring, it's in a couple months from now, but uh, yeah, a couple months from now. So last year, a couple months from now. Uh, I converted to Shiism. So uh, for anyone, before anyone asks any questions, no, I was never a Sunni. That's a common question I get all the time. Um, so I was, I converted and I immediately became uh, a Shia, alhamdulillah. And uh, since then, I've just mostly, I've written a few articles. I, I do a few things relating to Shiism on my Twitter. Mostly, I'm not really engaged in apologetics. It's not my specialty. Uh, which is part of why I think me and Christian have a good sort of uh, relationship is that neither of us are really apologetical in our approach. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's about it. That's basically about it about me. Okay. So um, I had a I had a question about your background, but I just I just forgot. Oh yeah. How um was that weird for your parents? Because I mean, in in a Western context that you're in, like if if you became Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant. I have a feeling that it would just be like kind of eh, okay, yeah, that's that's normal. But um, interest yeah. interest in in <laughs> Islam is a little bit of a different animal for people. So um, my parents are very thankfully kind of like uh, how do I describe it? Like they've never been super and like they've been involved in my life. Like they care about me, but they're not involved in my life to the point where they've uh, moderated me, so to speak. Yeah, which has been a good thing and a bad thing at times. But they've mostly um, kind of allowed me to live in peace, kind of uh, as a functioning member of the household. And uh, I respect their space and they respect my space. That's basically the okay. way I'll put it. So um, I, I'm very interested in the uh, process of conversion itself, especially to Christianity. But in this case, mm-hmm. it's a bit a bit different. Yeah. So so when when you converted, the main impetus was it more so you found a uh, a community of like-minded people? Was it more solo, uh, looking at stuff online, or maybe a book that you had read? What was 
was that main impetus? So I'll give uh, a couple of things to this. So um, when I was uh, later in the stages of being uh, Eastern Orthodox, I started to struggle with the concept of the SS energy distinction quite, quite intensely. Yes. And other issues like Trinitarianism, not so based on your view, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't mean like the classics should be RLE. I'm not going to get into the arguments because I don't think they're contingent to the video, but not, it wasn't like one plus one, one equals three. It's not those kind of arguments. It's a different, it's a different thing. I understand it on a much deeper level than that. And I, but, uh, and then I, um, so I started researching alternatives to, um, uh, essence energy distinction and i and i kind of uh, came across well to me there's two like viable alternatives and that would be um like a scotism which mm -hmm. i don't i was saying and i'm saying from that position uh, nowadays i don't agree with scotism but at that time that would be my view either the scotism or like a Thomism sort of divine simplicity approach so i looked into what religions hold those views like what religions are compatible with those systems in like the most basic form most basic forms. And that comes down to basically the three Abrahamic religions. So that would be Judaism, Islam, but only certain parts of Islam, or Roman Catholicism. Uh, and then for Ro from Roman Catholicism, I'm not going to get too deep into it for obvious reasons, but uh, I have still the same issues with Trinitarianism and the Incarnation and some historical issues. We discussed that a bit in a voice chat at one yeah. point. Uh and then with Judaism, uh, I think it's quite obvious. My name's Alex, so that one's kind of out of the picture. So uh, Islam, in Islam, I, we talked about this before, but in Islam, there's you can kind of sum it up to there's a few main subsects of Islam that allow for absolute divine simplicity. They could be described as the Shia, the Abadis, and the Mu'tazila. Now, I'm not going to get too into like why I disagree with the Abadis or why I'm not a Mu'tazila. In short... They're not historically consistent views. They have holes in the narrative, as a classic meme would say. Uh, they have issues within their narratives that doesn't line up, especially the Mu'tazila, in my view, where they'll uh, only accept like very uh, subjectively what they consider the most authentic hadith in a very, very specifically arbitrary way. Um, the Abadis uh, only exist in Oman, like they exist in they exist in like North Africa, do but they're very tiny nowadays. Uh, and what you can read about them in English um, is limited, and they have a very weird history. So it was in Shiism, and then within Shiism, there's three sects. There's the Zaydis, there's the Twelvers, and there's the Ismailis. Uh, and I remember I was discussing this with a person at one point who was uh, a very influential brother in my conversion. Um, and we were discussing about those groups. And the issue with those groups, is that, as we can kind of get into at some point, I suppose, is that the they have inconsistencies with their the way they view imamate, which we'll get into, the doctrine of imama. Um, so that's why I didn't chose those groups. So then it's just kind of 12 verses. So it's kind of a, a, a like a subtraction method. But on topics of books, why one of the ones I got out, um, this book, although I didn't have it in, in print for a long time, this book is called Kitab al-Tawheed uh, by... Sheikh al Sadduk. I'm sure all the Shias and Chatter are popping for this book. They're very big fans of this book. Um, that book, now I'll say a couple things about this book. This book, and I'll probably read from it at some point to kind of talk about the Shia doctrine of divine simplicity. But this book, uh, firstly, if you want to find it, you must specify the author. There's about three different books by the name Kitab al Tawheed. It's a very common name. It literally just means the book of the oneness of God. 
Um, and they all have radically different views. So they all disagree on what Tawheed means, ironically. Um, the one that I'm talking about is by Sheikh, spelled S-H-A-Y-K-H, Al, A-L, and then Saduq. It can either be spelled S-A-D-U-Q or S-A-D-O-O-Q. You can find it on a website called uh, thakalain.com, which I'm sure someone can link or something. Uh, and this book is basically, it's a Hadith collection all about the topic of Tawheed. And uh, it, it was very much influential because it, it's very clear in what, um, what was believed by the imams regarding uh, the oneness of God, divine simplicity, and etc. So that would be my, my two kind of long answers to that question. So it was kind of just a process of deduction in your mind. Yeah, exactly. That and also just reading a lot. I read a lot. I mean, mm. as you can see by my marvelous library, I read a lot. Uh... <laughs> you can... I don't have the Summa, sadly. I don't have the Summa. You have uh, is there any like um, just just personal interest? Because I know there's mm -hmm. Eastern Orthodox reception of the Summa. Then there's obviously Protestant reception of the Summa. Yeah. Is there any like Muslims that were doing the same thing that Thomas was doing with Muslim scholars? They were like, okay, Thomas over here says says this in his commentary on the metaphysics. So um, perhaps, not that I'm aware of. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if someone did. Um, but you have to realize uh, the ones that Thomas Aquinas are addressing are mainly Andalusian Muslims, people that lived in what's nowadays Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had much closer contact to Aquinas because he lived in Italy. Right, yeah. and, and he and, actually and, lived. He actually lived in Spain for some of his life, and wrote exactly. treatise, wrote treatises to uh, people in Spain in helping them uh, with apologetics against Muslims, specifically yeah. on the Trinity incarnation, and then also on the uh, occasionalist sort of uh, predestinarianism that yeah, was yeah, frequent. Yeah. I'm assuming among that group. That's amongst the Sunnis. Yeah, the Sunnis are very harsh occasionalists. Um, we can get into that at some point, but you, you realize the Shias at that time, would have mostly existed, they wouldn't have gone to anywhere near Aquinas. They still would have been existing in countries like Iraq and Iran and what is nowadays Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, um, out east a bit into places like maybe into some areas of uh, Southeast Asia, like maybe the northern parts of Pakistan at that point. I'm not too familiar with the history. But they wouldn't have been spread to Andalus like the, um, like the Sunnis did because, uh, as we'll probably get into, the Shia community in Islam historically are incredibly like the underdogs. They're incredibly oppressed. Very, it's very mm. rare that there's ever been, uh, as, uh, as you might know, the title 12 comes from the fact that there's 12 imams. Out of those 12 imams, we believe all of them should have been the highest political leader as well as the highest religious leader. But only two of them ever served the position of highest political leader, for example. Mm. Um, and those being the first two, um, and then after that, uh, they're all like they live lives in uh, house arrest or being uh, I mean, all of them besides the 12th one are killed. They're martyred. They're all of them are killed besides the final imam are killed in some sort of poisoning or decapitation. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we've mentioned. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, because this is more of a dialogue <laughs> sort of thing that's going on. I don't yeah, want to slip so into interviewer mode. I wanted to ask you, um, just because you know my, I've talked about this bit on the Discord, my main interest is kind of in, in areas of law and legalism and religion. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, coming from the Anglican background, how was it for you uh, taking in a, uh, a 
a tradition of Christianity that seems to at least put a heavier emphasis on uh, the uh, historicity and validity of laws, if that makes sense, and the establishment yeah. of new laws through the magisterium. Yeah, that was... Um... <clears throat> So if you're going to go to a purely classical Protestant background, which a bit was was my background, um, mm -hmm. they're going to hold a extremely Thomistic and basically uh, in line with uh, the, the broader Catholic tradition on natural law, uh, human law, and then uh, even uh, in some instances on ecclesiastical law. So there's still going to be that that recognition. So it wasn't as big of a jump. But what was a huge jump was just the massive, um, just magisterial tomes of moral theology. Like yeah, I, yeah. Wasn't, I wasn't too familiar with moral theology except from um, because it, when you're in the when you get into the Protestant tradition, uh, especially later on. I mean, some of the early ones did have uh, commentaries on Aristotle's Ethics, for example. But later yeah. on, um, in the more popular level ones, you're just going to get uh, expositions of the Ten Commandments and then applying them into uh, into certain uh, discrete laws of uh, human action. But Would you say I it's found... like a, like it's like analogical reasoning, like they're using like they're like they're using an anal uh, analogy between the Twelve Commandments and some new situation to apply it in. So like, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I would, I would say it would be that too. Then it's also a uh, a form of deductive reasoning. Like for yeah. example, uh, you look at the commandment on adultery. Um, mm -hmm. That would be rather than strictly prohibiting uh, relations between a uh, a married man and a married woman outside of outside of their uh, partners. What what it applies to is it also applies to things like uh, premarital sex, uh, which would be fornication, uh, sodomy, um, and, and a litany of other issues yeah. that aren't explicitly discussed but can be deduced from them. So I, I was so in in reading that um, that's how I thought of um, moral theology in the sense of um, a discrete list of uh, of rules, mm -hmm. but. What has been more helpful is, as I mentioned before, there are early reformers like Melanchthon and Vermigli, and there's just dozens of these uh, Protestant commentaries on Aristotle's ethics. But in in thinking in terms of virtue, that was uh, that was much more helpful. And then also thinking um, about legal theory from a classical yeah. point of view, such things as we talked about uh, we talked about earlier today that if a law that is not promulgated clearly does not bind and yeah. the fact that uh that freedom rules where there is no law and so if if i'm not sure about let's say uh square dancing if, if i'm not sure about whether yeah. square dancing is wrong or right <laughs> and there's no clear law promulgated um in natural law or in ecclesial law then mm -hmm. i am completely free to uh, practice it and the same goes for things like uh coffee coffee is a good example yeah, or, or I mean, in... or like, you can just like a very classical example that I've read given by Islamic scholars because it's a very similar principle that we have is like breathing in this very moment. There's no ruling on breathing right now. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. could not. There's. It's not like there's like a. There's no like no one's writing a law every second saying humans must breathe. It's yeah, and this gets into a little bit of the uh, soteriological principles and the definition of sin between yeah. uh, Catholics and Protestants, but a Protestant, very strictly speaking, would say that um, that our breathing uh, must be ordered in, in, a, in a certain sense 
towards uh, the glory of God in a um, in a conscious manner. Mm-hmm. So that that's a bit of an interest. So there is really no morally neutral uh, actions or morally neutral um, dispositions or or anything like that's that. Which is really it, it is a bit interesting because yeah. in the Catholic definition of sin, it would be a, a conscious transgression of the law of God. So if I, um, for example, if um, if I thought about the fact that I was about to get drunk and then I got drunk, that would yeah. be a um, that would be a sin. But if I was, uh, let's say, because that's a conscious transgression, but if, let's say, I had no idea that this had alcohol in it and I drank like 10 of them and yeah, got yeah. drunk from that, then that would be an example of um, not, it wouldn't be an example of sin. And then also a definition about concup- what's called concupiscence, which mm-hmm. is the disordering of um, your internal faculties. Like, let's say you have um, your... Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's your, a um, like I think I, I, I kind of get your I can kind of get you're talking about. Like there's a there's an idea. Um, it's very common if you read any uh, book of of Philk, of uh, jurisprudence. A lot of them will have a clause. Like for example, for marriage to be work for marriage to happen, both yeah. parties have to be uh, like sane and rational. Like they have mm. to be like like they have to not they can't be like coerced or like uh me- like extremely mentally deficient or something yes. along those lines that would present them from making a rational decision. Yeah, right? it's a it's um it's an idea that it is a uh, it's a consenting of the will. Is yeah, that, exactly. that that's where that that's where sin is found. You in, have to have the ability in, to consent in the first place. So. Yes, yeah, so and then you also have to this gets a little bit further into the differences is you also have to have knowledge of yeah. you have to have knowledge of that transgression because some groups within Protestantism won't have the idea of um, an age of accountability, which uh, in Catholic yeah. theology, there's a certain age where our rational yeah, faculties yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. Um, are grown up enough to where we can consider uh, and make judgments, and then willfully transgress the law of God revealed in uh, revealed in nature, and then in yeah. um, in the book of Scripture. So there's there's also that idea. So to... it was. There, there's a few a, f- a few things that I just went over, yeah. and again, again, there's different groups within Protestantism. So I don't mm-hmm. want to I don't want to hear any of you classical oh. Protestants out there getting <laughs> getting mad at me because I'm trying to explain explain all this to a Muslim audience to where they can understand uh, some of the differences. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say you you'd have to have Jay Dyer on to talk about like a uh, infant communion or something like that. Right? Oh, I am <laughs> I'm absolutely I'm absolutely for pedo communion. Yeah, when I was. <laughs> When I was an Anglican, I uh, I got my my son to uh, receive his first Eucharist uh, before I converted. So he has received the the body and blood, but um, not anymore now that we're Catholics because we're not <laughs> we're not Byzantine Catholics. So they yeah, just yeah, yeah. It. yeah, 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 yeah. So um, do you have any other uh, any other questions for me? Uh, the only other questions I had would be like very like I'd I'd, I'd like one specific one in mind, but it's like a very specific like legal circumstance that I don't know if okay. you had the answer to. Uh, I'll just pose I it now because it might be funny. So like like say theoretically you're in the you're in the process of a conclave. So a pope has either died or resigned or no longer pope, right? Yeah. Something has happened where the pope is no longer pope, and the cardinals have have to have to get together and choose a new pope. What would happen if during that that time? theoretically speaking, there was such a big crisis in the church that needed to be immediately addressed. 
So like some like ma- like imagine like like uh, I don't know like imagine the Aryan controversy broke out in the middle of a conclave. How would that be addressed? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I get what, I get what you're saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, I know during for, for explanation, a... the the Pope, it, like, I, my understanding of Roman Catholic like uh, uh, ecclesiology, like it's the Pope's job to call a council, right? You can't like uh, he can't like um. Like you can't just have like a bi- a random bishop call an ecumenical council, for example. Well, um, so while it's the uh, papal prerogative to call a council in our current um, our current uh, dispensation of doing things, it is yeah. not the essence of an ecumenical council for it to be called by the pope. Like for example, it's um, Constantine. Yeah, th- yeah. So what 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 you would have to do is uh, what is of the essence of a council is that it be uh, approved by the pope. So in a in a in a what's called sede vacante, I think it's sede vacante, <laughs> which is where sede vacantism comes from, where there is the yeah, chair, yeah, yeah. the chair is empty, then there is a uh, certain cardinal, which is um, the there's certain cardinals which uh, take the prerogative of taking up the uh, like the, the de facto petrine, role, the petrine ministry, but he wouldn't necessarily yeah. uh, be to in the office of the papacy. He would just like be doing the pope's could... job. Could he like issue infallible statements or no? No, because that comes from yeah. the charism of the office. Which yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I presume. Yeah, yeah. And also, when it comes to, I, I'm gonna correct myself. When it comes to resigning, obviously, we all know the Pope can't resign, and Benedict is still the true Pope. Uh, that's a, <laughs> that's a <laughs> very okay. established. So I had a, I had a brief question. Um, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard that there's a difference between uh, Sunni and Shia when it comes to the acceptance of Aristotle into, uh, into making a their philosophical systems do you have anything to say on that um yeah a couple things so um this is kind of funny actually it's kind of a meme between like the muslim circle it's kind of a meme to call like uh to like give like praises to aristotle and things like this um in fact matter of fact if i um what up one second i actually have uh the metaphysics on my bookshelf um but that's my favorite in case anyone's curious metaphysics is my is the best work of aristotle ethics fans can go away um but uh yeah yeah, (laughs) but uh um the uh the entire um so that's more of a modernist approach from uh specific groups of muslims so um in my in my flow chart which i sent you we'll go over this in a bit um basically over the period of islam you have three main and it's sunni it's sunni islam the sunni specifically this is ignoring the shias mm-hmm. in the sunni specifically you have three main groups of 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 creedal theology you have the atharis the asharis and the matridis right um we don't need to get into what they believe right now or like what's so important about what they believe right now it's not exactly prudent to discussion but the point is that all three of them had a history of like on some level citing Aristotle or philosophers as a source, not as an authoritative source, but as like this guy worded it the best way, or we agree with this guy and he's a classical source, etc. Basically the same thing Thomas yeah. does. Where Thomas is not using Aristotle as like a, he's not saying Th- Aristotle has some like uh, inspiredness. He's not saying Aristotle has some like special authority. Uh, he's basically just showing respect for Aristotle's rhetoric and his agreement with his principles. Um, the the uh, pushback against this only really comes in with the 
kind of the movement towards what's now known as the modern uh, Salafi movement in Sunnis and what would become the Wahhabis, who are a group of uh, traditionalist uh, (laughs) Sunnis who are super, super, super uh, against things like this. They would criticize people for things like this, but um, I'm not going to do an apologetic against them, but uh, to say their claims are unfounded would be an understatement. Yeah. And that comes down with a guy named uh, Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, and then later the um, uh, it is expounded upon by um, Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab, hence the name Wahhabi, who is like a political... Uh, if you don't know, it's kind of an interesting side note. Um, the history of the Saudi state basically is because um, there's a house, a, like a house in terms of like a dynasty house called the House of Saud that still rules Saudi Arabia, hence their name. Uh, and they got together with uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, and they kind of like joined forces. Uh, and that he was like the theological head of their um, of their of their group, and the House of Saud did all the the political stuff. And that was very good for both the Saudis because his his movement his his belief system is very good for uh, I don't know things like uh, war crimes or. Uh, Purpose or like uh, reasonlessly invading different countries, you know the type of stuff that uh, that you'd want to get into if you were trying to uh, consolidate the Arabian Peninsula, uh, and also because uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab was treated as a joke among scholars before that point, but once the House of Saud became a very big deal and he was associated with them, he started to actually be taken seriously. Okay, so um, I just had a, a brief thought. Yeah. But <laughs> what is what is you, you keep mentioning uh law? What is this uh evil Sharia law that uh we should all run from? <laughs> so um Sharia law, so let's let's kind of go over a couple concepts, right? Mm-hmm. There is um I'm, I'm gonna go up like a, a good like way to word this rhetorically. I'm not too sure of like the best rhetorical way of of describing sharia because it's kind of a, hard, a complicated uh, thing to describe in context with with fiqh. so fiqh, uh, the best way to think about it is sharia is like it is the it's islamic law it quite it basically a sharia itself basically just means law um mm-hmm. it's just islamic law fiqh is like the uh how could one describe it the uh science and the application of law in specific legal circumstances so all Sharia really means is it's the law that has to do with Islam. It'd be like the term, uh, like, you know, like there's the Judaic law, right? Yeah. One could call that like the, uh, you know, the Sharia of the Jews or something like that. It's just their law that's specific to their religion. You could even argue, for example, in the book of Acts, there's a law given um, where it says, you know, uh, I, for, for things we, we, that we uh, expect Gentiles to do, amongst them is like, don't eat blood, right? Uh, you're not allowed to eat blood. Um, that is an example of like, that's a religious law. Uh, all mm. Sharia really means is a just establishment of religious law. Um, and it's not evil. It's not terrible. It's, uh, <laughs> it's normal. I mean, we can go over the more controversial. If you want to get into the more controversial aspects of, of Islamic jurisprudence, so, you certainly can. So um, with, with uh, Shia, uh, Islam, mm-hmm. when you think of the concept of law, is this mm-hmm. purely the concept of um, some sort of divine positive law handed out um, 
through the Quran and then the Hadith or, or does it have to also do with, um, is, is there arguments made from natural law that they're you know, very, they're very much as natural law in the Shia tradition. Um, so, uh, there's kind of, there's kind of a difference also between the Shias and Sunnis. The Sunnis take a very harsh divine command theory approach where they'll say things are really only good because God has will like God has commanded us to do them and therefore they're good. Right. Yeah. Like, a, uh, while, Shias will take a, a approach much more closely to you where we'll have, you know, rational laws and we'll have things like that as well. So, for example, I mean, I'm just thinking of a good example of a, of a you know, like, for example, uh, it's not a, I'm not saying this is an explicit law. I'm not saying it's as, probably an assumed law because it's a law that you can't harm yourself, right? You're not supposed mm -hmm. to do serious bodily harm to oneself. So it would also be like, I don't know, a rational law that you shouldn't try to hold your breath underwater for 20 minutes or something, right? It'd be like, yeah, that's just ra it logically rationally follows that one shouldn't do that. It doesn't exactly have to be, you know, uh, divinely decreed for us to deduce that point. Um, mm. uh, I would also argue that there are aspects of divine command law in, in Shiism, as there is, I'd argue, in uh, Christianity. I think um, I think you had, you, who was the, the, the priest's name that you had on who talked about canon law? Uh, Father Max Nightingale. Thank you. Yeah, Father. Ma I remember Father Nightingale came on and he talked about uh, you know there's uh, natural law, rational law, uh, positive law in the sense that it's positive, divine positive law, and I forget mm -hmm. the last one. There's one more that I'm forgetting. Yeah. So there um, would be um, if if you're gonna make the distinctions, there's natural yeah. law, and then there's uh, ecclesial ecclesiastical positive law, and then human yeah. law. Exactly. Yeah. The, so we do agree to a degree there is like a like like laws that are that are true mostly just because God, God like it's not like a rash like for example we wouldn't say like the reason why you can't eat pork is because it's bad for you right we would say the reason why you can't eat pork is because it's it's a it's it's it's, it's a command that you shouldn't eat pork um but that doesn't mean that like all of our law, like for example, this, like I said, the Sunnis would say like all of law, or at least the vast majority of law is formulated in just the sense of it's divinely commanded. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. So we have a quick question in the, uh -oh. a few questions in the chat, actually. I need to keep someone up on I that. Know. So Kopo, he's asking, are Bosniaks Shia or Sunni? To my knowledge, they're Sunnis. I think all of the people in the, um, in that region are Sunni. Um, although they're not particularly, um, what's the word for it? Practicing a lot of them. They mm -hmm. use, in the same way that like, you know, um, Italy, not, not, not to kind of use this against you, but like Italy nowadays sometimes will appeal to its Roman Catholic history as like a political tool. Yeah. Or Russia will do that for orthodoxy. It's the same thing with the Bosniaks or the people in Kosovo or the Serbians or the Croats. They all mm -hmm. do the same thing where they appeal to the religious tradition because it's separate to um spark uh nationalism okay so ivan he's asking was the Ash the hashashins yeah, yeah. she are sunni that's the um the hashashins are uh they were uh, a group of ismaili shias so uh that's a specific sect of shiism that i don't belong to but they were at least by what uh secular we wouldn't, it's the same way that you wouldn't call old catholics roman catholics we wouldn't call yeah. ismailis shias but by like a secular definition they could be considered within the shia tradition okay okay that's all the questions we have oh wait wait uh -oh. Corey, does islam allow for a flat earth or geocentrism <laughs> um 
I'm not okay. I'll tell you, I'll say two things about this. One, I don't know in terms of like uh like, I've never seen anything like that like like uh, like what's the word for it like explicitly arguing for or against. Like I don't see any like are like you like you have to believe this. I don't think there's any like ruling on that. But there is a very famous. This is kind of a funny story. There's a very famous scholar named um, Ibn Baz. Ibn Baz was the Grand Mufti of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and he, in the 50s, very famously wrote a, um, uh, a a paper saying that people who don't believe in, I think it was geocentrism, are uh, believe in uh, religious innovation. So people who believe in heliocentrism are religious innovators. Based. And he got quite a bit of slack for that. I think he had it redacted. Um, but I don't, I don't know. He's a Sunni Saudi guy. He's wrong about most things. Okay, we got <laughs> two more questions, and then we can go back to... I think actually this one question is going to spark uh, one uh -oh. of the discussion points you want to talk about, but this one's a different one. So uh -huh. uh, John Fisher, he's asking, how do Shias handle the Sunni apologetics that if Shia Islam were true, they would have won the battle of Karbala and ruled Islamdom? I don't have the exact verse on me. This is, very this is one of my favorite verses used when talking to Sunnis because they like to use this argument where like, like, a, like an argument for majority, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Like we're the, we're, there are 90% or 85% of Muslims we're the majority, therefore, right. There's an, as a verse in the Quran, someone could probably find it for me and look it up and post it, where it says, quite literally, do not follow the majority, they will mislead you. <laughs> uh, like, like, quite literally, it says that. Um, <laughs> and also, when it comes to that, um, what? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> think about it this way. Think, think about it this way, right? Adam, in the Islamic view, was a prophet, right? Adam still had, you know, a notably bad thing permitted to happen to him yeah in our view his religion is still propagated i mean uh what's another good example i can give uh like all of the even, old testament even you, prophets even if you take this view literally like you could say like what about i mean umar uh um uthman is assassinated well if sunnism is true why was uthman assassinated i mean <laughs> you know i mean well you could say i mean it's just a bad argument because it's like it's just because you know like it's just a poor argument in that sense. I mean, it's like uh, if uh, if the union was right about the civil war, then why did the union lose this battle? I mean, who cares about the battle, dude? It's about the message, right? It's about the the uh, the teaching behind it. It's not about these these battles, um, especially when you have things like uh, the battle of Karbala, so clearly proving that Sunnis aren't true. But we don't need to get into that. That can be a different that can be a different discussion. How the battle of Karbala disproves Sunnism, though. Okay, so this is this is another question that we very ignorant Westerners um, yeah. think about because our only our only perception of Islam is going to be like, okay, Saudis. those guys, those guys in the Middle East <laughs> riding the riding the nineteen eighties Ford F one fifties with AKs, are they yeah, are yeah. they Sunni or Shia, and and what is what is wrong with them? So those people would be cons I, I'm going to call them Sunnis, you know Sunnis. Out of the nice. fact that even though I'm not a Sunni, I have enough respect for Sunnis to understand that they, they would excommunicate them. They would not consider them amongst their brethren. Mm -hmm. But they are Sunnis in the sense that they exist within the religious tradition of Sunnism. So they, um, they are people who take inspiration from that person I just mentioned, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. And they're basically, what's wrong with them is they're, uh, they're genocidal maniacs. That's that's what's wrong with them. There, uh, <laughs> I mean, the issue is that people like uh, you know um, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, 
who was the leader of ISIS. He was the not the founder of ISIS, but he leaded it for um, most of its like pr- prominent history. Or his predecessor, Al-Zarqawi, both of them. And by the way, what I just said means may God curse them, in case you're curious. It's a, it's a common thing. Base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, those, those people, um, those people, they take inspiration from this belief that basically uh, if in a certain basically that we have an obligation at all times as muslims to actively fight that we have an obligation to physically fight all obstacles at all times which is not found uh like i, I wouldn't even say it's found within people like abu Bakr or umar or uthman people they claim to look up to so okay interesting oh I so... should say as a comment before you delete that one do you know what the Battle of Karbala is? Do you want me to explain that kind of? I've I've no I've no idea what the Battle Battle of Karbala is, and I'm sure most of the people from my audience <laughs> watching have no idea. So I'll explain a bit of a bit of it. it. It's a very complicated historical event that it it would take a long time to explain. There's many hour long lectures on this topic. Basically, um, what happens is to go. We have to go back to the time of of the second Imam, who is named, uh, who is the son of Imam Ali alayhi salam, and his name is uh, Hassan alayhi salam. And basically, there's a war between him and a guy named Muawiyah. Muawiyah wants to be the caliph. Hassan is the caliph. They have a war over this. Muawiyah wins. They sign a treaty. In this treaty, it says uh, basically that um, after Muawiyah. If I'm alive, I if, if Hassan's still alive, the, the caliphate will go to me. If I'm not alive, then it will go to my brother, whose name is Hussein. Now, what happens is uh, uh, Imam Hassan is poisoned by his wife before Muawiyah dies. So he, Can't by the way, he's poisoned, he's poisoned by his wife at the bribery of, so what happens is a very, it's kind of a, I don't say it's funny, it's very tragic, but it's funny in terms of like, this shows how, in our view, how bad Muawiyah is. Muawiyah basically pays his wife, uh, not pays, pays uh, Imam Hassan's wife to kill him, right? Um, so that she can marry his son Yazid. Yazid is the person uh, he wants to be the next caliph. Uh, and Yazid is an evil, evil, evil person. He's probably the worst person in human history, and I mean that with basically no exaggeration. He's a very terrible human being, and we'll get to him in a minute. Um, and basically, so she does it. She kills Imam Hassan al Islam. And then she goes, okay, now it's time for me to marry Yazid. And Muawiyah goes, well, you killed your husband. How can I trust that you're not going to kill my son? So she, <laughs> he lies to him. Absolutely based. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what happens. And then what happens is after that, Yazid tries to take control of the caliphate. And that breaks the treaty because obviously, as you remember, when Muawiyah dies, it's supposed to go to either Hassan if he's still alive or to Hussein. So there's another big war. This big war culminates in the city of Karbala, which is a city in Iraq that is very, very, very holy to Shias for this reason. And they have a battle, and it ends up that Imam Hussein al-Islam's army loses, and he is killed, um, which uh, is um, considered by a lot of people to be, uh, you know, like, one of the biggest acts of disbelief one person could possibly carry out because of many we'll get we can get reasons why it's considered disbelief to do such a thing but basically yazid's commissioning of this uh is unbelievably evil and that's what the battle of karbala is it's a very important event to shias and it'll come up i'm sure many times if we talk about history 
Okay, there you go. Yeah, and the, you the go. question I think is going to spark some because he wanted to talk about <laughs> differing um, Islamic versus Catholic views on enjoyment. But Yeah, uh, yeah. So armed with reason, he asked, <laughs> is it true that you get 72 virgins when you get to, into heaven? In okay, Islam? let me get the, let me get, do you know the verse that, um, I have it in my notes, one second. Because I want to, um, I want to cite the specific verse, actually. So I have it in my notes. 37, 42 through 50. That's the one that um, uh, Scotus cites in the paper you were reading the other day. Yeah, it is Ordinatio. Mm-hmm. One he second, says, I have to find it. What, what does he say exactly? Something about like something about he says something like uh, basically that Aquinas does, where it's like the uh, they're tricked into accepting their carnal desires. It's the same the same sort of argumentation that Aquinas does. And, and I'll read this passage. And this is from the uh, the translation of Kulikari. It's one I just had on me. Uh, and it says that speaking of uh, when you go to heaven. Fruits, and they will be held in honor in the garden of bliss, reclining on couches facing one another, reserved, uh, served around the cup from a clear fountain, snow white, delicious to the drinkers, wherein there will be neither headache nor will it cause the stupidification, and with them will be maidens of restrained glances with big, beautiful eyes, as if they were hidden ostriches. And there's a footnote here that says that that is well reserved, not hidden as in like literally not seen. Some of them will turn to others, questioning each other. One of them saying, "I indeed had, I had indeed a companion." It goes on. Um, so that 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 is important because it's talking about uh, these beings that are accounted uh, in uh, in the Quran a few times of these these maidens, right? Mm -hmm. I forget the Arabic word off top. Um, and the seventy-two virgins thing is kind of uh, it comes from Hadith, um, and uh, it's kind of uh, how do I describe it? The, the reason why it's there, let's, let's, we, kind of, we kind of touch on the, the material pleasures thing, but I think that would be needed for an entire statement of itself. The reason why it's there in partiality, and this is just presuming it's true. Honestly, I haven't read much about the Shia corpus on, this, on that hadith, but I'm presuming it's true for the sake of argumentation. Now, there is 72 virgins in heaven, but virgins, it means maidens, and by maidens, it means these specific women, these specific beings that have giant, beautiful eyes and stuff like this. They're described very... Uh, What's the word for it? Elegantly and very piously and very uh, beautiful in the Quran. They, uh, the point of it is that there's a very common theme in Islam that the world we're living in right now is a test and that a lot of the things that are forbidden to us are forbidden to us uh, in the same, in like a, um, in a sense where it's like they're forbidden to us for the purpose of um, their their enjoyment in the afterlife, and this is because that Islam does not view uh, material things as uh, they it views them as as either good or bad. It doesn't either, and and what I mean that is that it, for example, it views sex uh, in a in an inherently positive way, and that is and that is within the context where sex is permitted, right? Um, and that sex is inherently positive. Um, and that it should be a it should be a thing that's enjoyed by humanity. It's that it's created by God as a, as, a, as an enjoyment for humanity. So presuming this is true, again, just presuming it for the sake of argumentation, because I said I haven't read much about uh, this in our books, and that, it could be in our books, it could not be. I'm sure one of the brothers can correct me, and I'm I'd be very happy with that because I know they're watching. Um, that uh, it's like. Um, you know, uh, it's just there as uh, they're, they're created by God and that they're restricted in this world. You can only have four wives in this world and they don't have to be virgins. 
<laughs> but they do that that restriction is not applied in the afterlife because of uh you're not having to go through that period of uh, being a test okay my brief answer that 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 makes sense i mean that'd be yeah. that'd be slightly different from the uh from the catholic view because because if so i'm yeah, I'll yeah, just yeah. I'll just I'll just directly explain it. Uh -huh. So, um, so when Saint Augustine will talk about uh, these these various things in life and the enjoyment of them, these the the enjoyment of certain particular and proximate things in this world, they're really um, not to be enjoyed in themselves, but they are to be um, enjoyed for a different end. And that is the final good. For example, um, mm -hmm. if you want to talk about marital relations, marital yeah. relations in uh, in the Catholic view is is basically a created um, reflection and participation of the love in which Christ has for the church. Yeah, so I, I, you find that in like exegesis of Songs of Solomon and stuff like that. Yes, yes, and then yeah. in uh, then in Ephesians five where it talks about yeah. it. So with with these enjoyment enjoyments of created things we are enjoying them in reference to the eternal good in which they participate in and so so, so really when, when we when we go to to heaven it isn't yeah. that we're going to have these various imperfect uh participations in the good mm -hmm. but rather our highest um faculty which is the intellect and our highest sensitive faculty which is the sight will perceive God in his essence directly. And there'll be a mystical union between us and God where we will be completely um, enraptured in what's called the beatific vision. And these things, um, these things of the material world, they, they reflect forth that, that ultimate goodness in which we will partake in. So, so really um, there's, there's not really a need for us to, um, for us yeah. to talk about, uh, material pl pleasures in uh in the next life because the material pleasures in this life aren't for themselves so there's a lot more of a um a strong ascetic tradition yeah in christianity i think we would just say that like um you know god invented things to be enjoyed um and has uh you know due to multiple circumstances places restrictions on us for our enjoyment of that there's many examples of this. for example uh in the quran it says Men will wear green silk shirts in heaven. That's kind of like, like why, like why would I say that's kind of obtuse if you don't like know like the reason yeah. for it? It's because silk for men is not allowed. You're not allowed to wear silk as a man in Islam. Mm -hmm. It's forbidden for you to wear in this in this world. So the idea is, uh, and same with alcohol. There's wine in heaven, as we mentioned before. Alcohol is not permitted for Muslims in this world. These things they're invented by God in our in our in our view as like as something that should be enjoyed but because of man's faulty cannot be enjoyed and because in heaven um you know there's you know no sin and things along these lines they they can be enjoyed in a pure way that is actually um uh what's the word for that is actually approved and godly okay. would that be the brief and as i saw the comments they are they are clarifying it yeah it's not it's not necessarily found in our tradition but you can make that it's the same sort of line of reasoning for other sorts of you know, material pleasures in, in heaven. Yeah. Oh, um, so, so, uh, there's a question about original sin in Islam. Is there a doctrine of original sin? 
Um, depends what you mean by original sin, because this, I mean that this gets was, really complicated. Yeah, there was do you mean, the. Do you mean the Orthodox the, understanding of original sin or the Catholic understanding of original sin? Because they use the same word to mean very different things. Well, I mean, I think I think <laughs> yeah. there's a synthesis which is allowed. So yeah. basically, it's not it's not some sort of guilt which is inherited from our parents, but it's a yeah. Uh, it's a common corruption, which is uh, yeah. Which that's what fact, EOS would say. That's what EOS would say. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that I mean, I mean, even in the Catholic tradition, the idea of, uh, for example, Thomas Aquinas would explicitly mm-hmm. deny that somebody could be punished with the pains of hellfire on the basis of original sin alone, because original yeah. sin is some sort of corruption, but we're not guilty for that uh, corruption. Only with the acting of the of the will with. Uh, with the judgment of the intellect, can we be guilty for it? Yeah, I would argue that there uh, is to a degree uh, an idea of it, but it's not like uh, discussed in any like way that I could really comment on it more than that. Uh, but the Quran does speak on like, uh, for example, um, things that are cursed upon uh, Adam and Eve for, for their sin, things like this. Like it does speak about these things, uh, but only in like a... Uh, not so um like it's not a develop i want to say it's like it's not like um to my uh, to my reading it very likely could be in very many other texts it probably is uh it's not like uh it's not a common topic of theology okay who's insomni studios he's asking you to he's asking you to debate him i don't know who he is no clue who he is i've never met this person in my life okay (laughs) if he keeps going on I'll, i'll make sure i block him Okay, yeah. that looks like all the questions we have in the chat. Do you have any questions for me? Then we'll get yeah. to your uh, charts. Yeah, yeah. So a, c- a couple of things I wanted to ask you, and that's um, well, I, I, one thing I wanted to ask you firstly is that, like, uh, how do I word this in a correct way? What is your view on uh, someone taking a position? Like, uh, how do I put it this way? How many? What schools within Roman Catholicism would you say exist within the? the square, so to speak, of acceptable theological schools. So, you know, you have Thomists, Scotists. Besides, is there anything besides those two that you would say are acceptable schools? Uh, uh, yeah, there's, um, I would broadly speak of there being um, Thomist, Scotist, and then even those Molinists, I guess, are acceptable. According, <laughs> according, according, to, the magis- according to the magisterium, they are acceptable. <laughs> And then there's also various flavors of um, Eastern Catholic thought, which would include actually Palamism, would be an acceptable oh. take in, uh, in Catholicism. <laughs> I know, terrible, terrible. They should get on that. Someone should send uh, Francis an email about that or something. Somebody send oh, an was... email in the chat. Yeah, I was going to say also about Francis and the Vatican in general. Um, it's I don't mean this is a jab, but I think it's funny. Have you ever been to Ayatollah uh, Sistani's website? Ever? No. Okay, I'll send it to you on Discord. Uh, it's really funny that he is, you know, a, a person who's 91 years old. He lives in Iraq. He was, he's 92 now, I believe, actually. He lives in Iraq. Uh, he, he doesn't speak English, like, fluently by himself. Yet his website in English is much more navigable or navigable than the Vatican website in English. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the, the Vatican website is terrible. I mean, worst just, just think about it. Like, with all of the yeah. resources that the Vatican has... Because yeah. if they if they had if they knew how to use the internet, like they would literally just put like all the books that ever existed online for free, and they'd be like, "Oh, here you guys go. We <laughs> we we got all these books for you. Like read them, guys. Like that would be such an amazing resource. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They re- Pope Francis needs to hire me to be his web developer guy, <laughs> and I'll fix everything up for him. 
Yeah, I mean, it just uh, this needs to be someone competent, someone semi-competent. Mm -hmm. Oh, and um, the other question I had was regarding um, your opinion on uh, the you know we, I want I actually do genuinely want to do like a stream on this topic, so I'm making mm -hmm. that clear. What is your interpretation of uh, Nostra Aetate and its status in the in the church uh, and the status that it holds? So uh, specifically talking about its sections on uh, Thomism, correct? No, so, sections on Islam. It's sections on Islam. No striatate. Oh, 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 I thought you were talking about um, Attorney of Patris. No, um, no. So, <laughs> so um, when, it, when it comes to uh, yeah. Islam, um, mm -hmm. I, take, I take it in the sense that I would also take... Um, in the book of Acts, do you remember where um, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Athenians on Mars Hill, mm. on the Ergopius, er, er, Ergopius, I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> and and he he says that you guys are worshiping the unknown God, that yeah. uh, there, there's still a sense in which they are worshiping the one true God. Like, I believe in a, in a sense, I can say you're worshiping the one true God, but I would say it's at, in a um, ineffectual manner and that it's uh and, and that it's in a gravely imperfect manner like i'm if you, I'm had all to spend about... a, if you had to spend a day with me or an historian who would you who would you choose uh you specifically <laughs> or like muslims in general <laughs> <laughs> well I, I okay i'll say I'm, I'm a pretty i don't know i don't give my i don't pat myself on the back too hard but i'm a pretty normal example like i'm a pretty normal guy so yeah. I'll say me specifically, so you don't think of like I don't know Mohammed bin Salman as like the example or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me specifically in this, this specific example, I guess. Um, definitely, definitely you, because I mean, with <laughs> with Nestorians, like yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the water's a lot more murky because because I feel like with um with Muslims, I can have a lot more of a respect respectful uh relationship with muslims because our lines are a lot clearer like yeah i yeah. know i know i know where you stop uh you know where i stop like <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. we're not trying we're, yeah. we're not gonna try to like overstep overstep those boundaries and if we do get into discussions we know where those boundaries stop yeah i'm not but gonna somebody... try to pull you into anti-trinitarianism or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with with an historian it's just um I think because they participate in the truth in a greater degree, that mm -hmm. it makes me even more upset that they that they hold to the heresy that they do, considering they you have must... the same scriptures and the same tradition yeah. that, that that we have. You must really hate the Anglo Catholics that aren't Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does it does really upset me because it's like you guys are you guys are so close. Yeah. You guys are so close. <laughs> no, that's all I, that's all the questions I had for now, but I might think of more as the time comes on. Okay, so I'm going to look at some questions, then we'll get into your charts. You made some helpful yeah, charts. Some, so we can... I have some charts to explain some things. So, dear Alex, may I ask from your view why Salafism is so successful in the West? So I'd give uh, two main reasons. Um, so firstly, um, funding. It's got a lot of funding um, by Saudis. I don't know if he knows, but Saudis are really, really rich. They have a lot of money. And they're really into uh, funding projects especially ones that support their diplomatic interests. So uh, creating more people, especially in a, a semi-allied, semi-enemy state like the United States or England or France, 
to take on their uh, their ideology is very appealing to them. Secondly, I'd also appeal to the fact that it's, it's very much like evangelicalism or evangelicalism, whatever you I don't know, even evangelicals. You get the yeah. idea. And that they're very. If you ever hear a Salafi talk, they talk with a lot of confidence, uh, and they try to make it like they. They're also kind of like Jay Dyer, and that they like to like try to like hone their entire argument on traditionalism and like how traditional everything is. Yeah. But if you actually examine their arguments, their claim to traditionalism kind of falls flat. So that's what I would say. Okay. Um, there's some questions I didn't I didn't ask them. I'm sorry. But there's questions on uh, Shia interpretations of the intercession of the saints. Oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> so um, in Shiism and in the Sunni, most Sunnis, so the majority of Sunnis historically, again, the only people who deny this are the Salafis, who would have thought. There is two practices that are worth mentioning. One is called Tawassal, and one is called Istighatha. So, Tawassal would be like me saying, uh, Ya Allah, forgive me for my sins, for my love of your dear prophet Muhammad. So what you're doing is you're saying, uh, for, you know, forgive me or forgive so-and-so for their love of so-and-so. That's Tawassal. And this is this is debated. It's not technically a form of intercession, but I'm it's grouped in with istighatha, which we'll get into, which is more like intercession. Um, and it is it is basically it's an accepted practice in Shiism and 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 by basically everyone again besides Salafis. Now istighatha, which uh, is the more controversial of the two, I suppose. Although again, everyone besides the Salafis and some. Uh, of the more traditional athletes don't accept it. But the belief is basically that it, it's like intercession in the sense of that you would say, uh, you know, Yahusain, uh, uh, Madad, and that you uh, help me with so and so by praying to God, and as you know, pray to God for me, etc. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's completely accepted in Shiism. It's, it's actually, in fact, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's a, I mean, it's, uh, it's not like, like a dogmatic aspect of Shiism, but in terms of praxis, it's probably, it's like one of the most important praxis or pragmatic aspects of, of the religion. So, so what you're saying is that um, Shia Islam is better than Protestantism. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. We also, we also believe that she was, uh, we we believe she um, was, uh, uh, there's some perpetual virgin. Perpetual virgin, and also we're gonna get this. Uh, this is a very funny one for you. I don't. I, I, I've been waiting to drop this bombshell. As I find out, I've been waiting to drop this bombshell okay, to show how much how much you should like as she is. So, uh, can you bring up my chart? Actually, the one that has the names on it. I'll get into it then because okay. it gets it gets fun. The one that has the names. The second oh. one I sent you. Okay, the second one. Let me in one second. I had to put them in a in a Google Doc because I boomer level tech right now. And I couldn't <laughs> figure out how to pull a pure picture. Okay, let me. That's funny. Let me put it in the duck. Okay, this one's behind this one. This is interesting. Uh oh. Okay. Find find something else to talk about so we don't lose um, them. Um. Uh. Let me think. What's going to talk about? Um. I can't think of one thing that's really interesting. Um. So. We'll get into the. I'll explain the doctrine of Imama, which is the most, uh, in my opinion, the most like differing thing between Shias and Sunnis. Like it's the most. Like if there's one thing to say, Shias believe this, Sunnis believe that. It is the doctrine of Imama, 
which we'll get into. I'll try to do a, a, a somewhat justice to a belief that can never be done full justice because it's, I mean, it's a wonderful belief that can never be fully explained in its entire uh, strength, its entire gratitude, so to speak, uh, to really fully explain it. But I'll, I'll, I'll get into a basic understanding of it and I'll contrast it with the Sunni model of, of where they see leadership. So I don't know if I've said enough stuff. Have I said enough stuff? Or talking? Okay, okay yeah. now we got it. Woo! Okay, okay. So let's go over this chart. Um, so let's start with the green, the green cubes, the green squares at the top here. Those are just the established, that's just the start of Islam. It's not the most important aspect. It's just kind of the start of Islam as a religion, right? So we, of mm. course, we have the birth, the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the establishment of Islam, and then his death. Uh, so what I'm not going to get into arguments for Shiism here. Let me make that very clear that the Shias, Sunnis, Roman Catholics, anyone, I'm not getting into the arguments for our view on this. I'm simply getting into the differences in beliefs. So first I'll explain the Sunni belief. The Sunnis believe that after his death, what, sh what should happen is what did happen. And there should have been a calling of a council in Arabic called a shura, a shura council, uh, so to speak. And where these people, they, they vote on who should be the leader, right? They, they voted. The companions in uh, Arabic called the Sahaba voted on who should uh, inherit this role. And this is called Khalifa, right? There's your favorite, there's your favorite uh, syllable. So cringe, cringe democracy. Uh, it's like, um, like very tiny democracy, like, like, like democracy amongst like, oh, it gets, so it's like cringe conciliarism. So, and then it gets even weirder. So after Abu, so after so the first one is, is Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr, whose real name is Abdullah, but Abu Bakr is uh, a kunya. It's a nickname. Basically. It means uh father of the camel. If I recall correctly, I don't remember the exact translation, something along those lines. Uh, and he is the father-in-law of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is the father of Aisha, who I'm sure you're familiar with. I'm sure you've heard her name. He is her father. Mm. Um, he's only holds the position of caliphate for a few years, a couple of years, and then he dies. And then he basically, basically like two people appoint the next guy, who is Umar. As you might know, that's a lot less than like the entire. That's a that's a lot. That's a that's a lot less than democracy if it's like two people, right? Uh, yeah. Then they get together, they decide Umar rules, and then Uthman. The point is that these four people. In the Shia view, uh, not the Shia view, in the Sunni view, are chosen by um, by a council. They're not inherited. You know, Umar has no familial relationship to Abu Bakr, and um, they're political leaders first, and then religious leaders second. They do have religious duties that we can get into. They do have the ability to establish law, even in some circumstances, and to abrogate law in some circumstances. But they do not have, they're, they're mainly their job political leaders. And their secondary of their job is as the leaders of the religion. Um, and then after Uthman is um, Imam Ali, alayhi salam, uh, Ibn Abi Talib. So he is the first Imam in Shiism. Let's get into what the word Imam means. I'm going to get out the Quran again. Very famous verse. I'm actually going to show you something actually about this verse. I'm going to get out two copies of the Quran. So this is the one. This is the translation by, um, I think his name is, I think it's Muhammad ibn Abdul, uh, it's, yeah, Muhammad Abdul Halim. And I'm going to read his translation of the verse first. So I want you to, I want to, I want to see if you can notice the difference. And I'm sure all the, all the Shias are going to immediately recognize the verse. They're going to know it and they're going to, they're going to see it. The verse is, 
when Abraham's Lord tested him with certain commandments, which he fulfilled, he, i.e. God, said, I will make you a leader of men. Abraham asked, and you will make leaders for my descendants too? God answered, my pledge is not hold for those who do evil. That's the 120th verse, 124th verse of the second chapter, the second chapter. That is the first translation, the one that's bad. This translation is not a good translation. And I'll get into why in a second. It's very loaded to translate it that way. If you go to the Ali Kudikari translation, which in all honesty is a Shia translation, but I could also go to the Arbery translation, which translates the same way, which is not, it's not even a Muslim translation. It's an Orientalist one. And I find the verse, one second here. I'm sure all the Shias are having a fun time while I'm looking this up. <laughs> This is like finding the, the Peter Rock verse, you know? It's like our version of that, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> this version, it says, when his Lord tested Abraham with certain words and he fulfilled them, he said, I am making you the imam. Well, that's a bit of a difference, isn't it? The imam of mankind. Said he, and from my line of he said, my pleasure is not extended to the unjust. So the two differences here is that and in the Abdul Halim translation, it just says of your people, and it says leader. And here it says imam and of mankind. Those are quite clearly, we'll get into what those means. Imam literally does mean leader. Like I'm not, literally the word means leader. But the way the, in the way the word is used in that context, it's quite clearly referring to like a position. Like it's not like a, like it's a general leader, right? It's quite clearly referring to, I'll make you an imam. I'll make you a position. Yeah. I'll establish you as, an, as in a position. And then it says it as all of mankind. This is a very important idea in Shiism. So the idea in Shiism is that there are prophets and there are messengers, of course, and all messengers are prophets and all messengers are also imams. And the idea and the job of an imam is that he's simply the leader of all of humanity. He is a person who is guiding all of humanity religiously. Literally, he's yeah. the leader of all mankind, as the first says. Kind of. We'll get into that. That gets. We'll get into the Pope comparisons. Get kind of funny in a second here. And our also our view is that there's always been an Imam since the start of time until today. There is a living Imam on the earth. Okay, since the start of time until today, since Earth existence, since humanity existed, there's been an Imam. Uh, uh, and that every and then in those gaps between prophets, there was people who were just Imams. They weren't prophets. They weren't messengers. They were just Imams. And this is, the, this is the real bombshell. You ready? You ready, Christian? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Drop it. The imam after uh, Prophet Jesus is Peter. It is it is agreed upon Wait, in what? Shiism that the imam after the Prophet Jesus is, is Peter. That Boom. he held the imamate. Catholicism moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so that's kind of crazy. So... Yeah, yeah. Who who was it after Peter? Do you guys not know? Or is it like Clemens? Uh, we don't. I don't. Then... Uh, I don't think we. I don't, we don't say anything. I don't. I haven't read anything about that. We do believe. I've, there's a a brother who informed me. I haven't seen the hadith myself, but there's a hadith that says the chain goes on until shortly, uh, like like shortly. I think before the prophet uh, received message. Uh, so so what you're what you're telling me, is that uh, is that Muslims were the original set of contests. <laughs> the chair sense, of Peter yeah. is empty, <laughs> and then you. Well, then you it, wasn't, the, it wasn't. It wasn't empty. We had. We had our own. We had the imam. We had someone else pulling the chair. Oh, of Peter. <laughs> so it's it's basically. So you you guys are more like orthodox sort of set of a contism where the where the chair just shifts over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm I'm getting it now. I'm getting it now. 
<laughs> so, and then, of course, now, the role of the imam necessarily is that he has what's in Arabic called isma. Isma in Arabic literally just means infallibility. Wow, I would have guessed, right? So, we also believe Peter was infallible, in case you're curious, just as a fun, continual side note of that, uh, of that comparison. Uh-huh. Um, and then every every pro every imam after a prophet is they can basically what their job is to perfectly preserve that prophet's message and continue on its 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 teaching the tradition. Um, so then after the the final prophet, uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, there is twelve imams, hence the name Twelvers. In you know, and these imams, it's important. It's it's important that first two twenty two one twenty four also proves one other thing. They're appointed by God. They're not appointed by people. God himself says who the imam is, right? He himself designates that position. There's not like a council that describes it or a group of people who describes it. Now, we're not gonna, we don't have time to go through all of the imams. I don't think you'd, it wouldn't be exactly prudent to go through all of them and what all of them did and what all their lives yeah. were like. Um, uh, but it is worth noting, as I mentioned, they're always alive. And another very important aspect of Shia the uh, theology is that it's an active position. So unlike the position of the Sunnis, that there's there's never going to be a leader like Abu Bakr again. It's a closed role, basically. There's not going to be reestablished until the end times, more or less. Uh, we believe it's an active position. That there's currently an imam, and his name is Imam uh, Muhammad Ibn Hassan al-Mahdi, Allah salam. And we believe he has been alive since the late 9th century AD. So this is, this is quite the thing for people to accept. That this, guy, this, this person has been alive for over a thousand years, right? That's, that's the conclusion of this thesis. Now, of course, it's a miracle. Like, no one's going to say it's a natural uh, this circumstance for a person to live over a thousand, year, uh, a thousand years. And you'd also ask, well, where is this person who's been alive for a thousand years? This is where the doctrine of occultation comes from. Uh, we believe that he uh, went into occultation, which literally means hiding. The Arabic term is uh, like ghaiba, ghaiba, which means like uh, hiding, uh, occultation. It's quite a literal translation. So he is physically existent, but he is not connected with the community. He is, uh, no one has access to him on a regular basis. Mm. Um, so but like I said, say ascended. <laughs> well, no, he's still here physically. He's physically still here on Earth. On so Earth he's, he's hiding or, or something? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he, um, and again, it's very important to note, they're infallible, right? They cannot commit even human errors. They're infallible people. So the infallibility is taken even farther than the papal infallibility. They cannot commit human errors, in our view. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So I have to go for like 30 seconds, then I'll be back. You're good. So while I'm gone, uh, could you answer this question? Alex, yeah, serious yeah. question for you. Where was Islam before 600 AD? And I'll be back in one minute. Where was Islam before 600 AD? What a fun question. So um, let's point out a couple of things about the, the, the view of messengers in Islam. That uh, the Islam under the prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, while being theologically the same, in its practice was almost certainly not the same because we believe that every messenger brings abrogations. So two things I'd say in regards to this. One, um, it's an argument from silence, in a sense. Um, I could bring up many other uh, things that I'm sure even Christian would, would rant to me to a degree or not attested to in the earliest church sources. 
but that are accepted as dogma because they're accepted in later sources and because of the, the, the assumption that they did exist in the early sources that are not recounted. So it's an argument from silence. That'd be my main response. And two, um, uh, how do I describe this in, uh, in uh, English in a fluent way? Um, if you say like, uh, how is the best way to describe this? There's a continuation in terms of uh, certain beliefs that are within Islam in certain groups. Uh, there's ones that aren't in certain groups. It, it gets complicated, but that's the way it is. Again, it's an argument from silence. That's the best argument against that, in my opinion. It's just an argument from silence. Yeah, thanks for, I don't know who Anon00 zero zero is, Anon00, but thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for um, the, uh, the, uh, the comment that, yeah, it is, it is true that uh, after Abu Bakr is appointed by the majority of Muslims, yeah, majority of Muslims. He is uh, went on to fight the majority of Muslims on the ground that they apostated for not recognizing the new leader. That's a very good point. I'm not going to answer some of the other ones because uh, um, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're wait. They're, I'll wait for Christians to come back. I'm well, better than modern democracy for sure, but not enough for monarchy. <laughs> That's a funny point. Do Shias and Sunnis? Uh, believe they're both Muslim or see that as heretics? Um, I'll get to that one. I know someone else answered it. Um, they're Muslims. And, the, and I, I'm answering like, on the question because I answered that one. In, in brief, oh, okay. The, in brief, the answer to this question is that it's an argument from silence. Uh, and the other, uh, someone else asked, uh, what do Sunnis say, what do like Shia say about Sunnis? What's the view between the two? Um, they're Muslims for all intents and purposes. Um, it's the same way that, you know, like uh, a lot of them are ignorant lay people, you know, same with like any religion. Uh, a lot of them are ignorant lay people, so. Yeah, yeah, there okay. you go, yeah. Let me see. <laughs> is there anything else? Ah, okay, I know who Anon00 is. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so are there any um, particular views regarding the crucifixion? Okay, so this is a con it's not, I mean, it's not that controversial. The, the, uh, the consensus is that he was not crucified. I know, I know. Uh, you know, throw up your hands, you know, it gets complicated to, to debate. It's not something I'm, I'm historically, not, uh, not something I'm not historically qualified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not something I'm historically qualified to debate. I'll say the consensus is that he was not crucified. What's interesting is there's not a consensus on if he died or not. Some believe that he died either at the will of God or by some different cause of death. Some believe that he never died. And like Enoch was just uh, taken into heaven. So, okay. Okay. Is there like um so with when it comes to uh Islamic Mariology, is uh, it is really the only things we share the perpetual virginity? Is there anything else special about Our Lady? Well, you want to uh, call her Our Lady? She conceived. But... Uh, she conceived. So there's a very. Uh, uh, it was actually what was interesting is actually a typology. The very I, I wanted to talk about the Byzantine Catholic and I forgot to. We had a discussion with him the other day, and I I'd actually love to discuss with him again sometime. Uh, that's a, that's a pointer to you. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that um, uh, there's a really f uh, an interesting typology that's actually shared between Muslims and Christian regarding her and regarding specifically with uh, Jesus and Adam. So Mary is viewed in a specific special light because uh, and Jesus because Jesus is one of two uh, creatures to really be said uh, like be 
like a human being to say be and he exists. So that's to say that there was mm. no there was no uh, conjugal relations that caused his existence. So we leave in the virgin birth, very notably, and that that places Mary in a special um, a special camp. There was quite a bit about her in the Hadith corpus regarding her uh, her sinlessness and like I mean, there's many things regarding not her sinlessness, but there's things like regarding like her genuine piety. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, she's held in a very high regard for sure. There's an entire chapter named after, as that you might or may not know. Um, it's not. called Sarah Maryam. Maryam is the name in Arabic for Mary. So most, it's not mostly about her, but it's large chunk of it is about her. I'd recommend giving it a read sometime. Uh, and there you go. That's kind of a brief, uh, brief. Uh, and I do want to comment on one thing. Just while I'm thinking about this, and like Christianity and Islam and uh, Jesus and like this, is that a people mm-hmm. use the argument that so in the Quran there's an there's a, a miracle ascribed to Jesus. Uh, where basically Jesus makes clay birds and it's a, it's a common, it's a thing that's used. <laughs> Gospel of Thomas. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the same exact, you know, it's funny about this. I was going to bring this up. The, the, as I was because it's a very, it's a very bad argument. And the reason why it's a bad argument is because uh, everyone believes that just because a, a bad source uh, ha, you know, it's because the source is bad mm. and doesn't have true information. Yeah. I could very easily cite the fact that Catholics basically use the Proto-Evangelium of James as a source on Mariology in the early, yeah. the early church. Mm-hmm. And everyone also agrees that that, church, that that document is not a good source. It's it's pseudepigraphal. It's a bad source. That doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't include true information. Yeah. And it's also like, just because it includes the account doesn't mean it's the only yeah. and earliest account of that of that event. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with you. I mean, it's entirely yeah. possible that he did make clay birds. Like, I'm not, I'm not yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't he be able to? Like, I believe he's yeah. God incarnate. Like, yeah. why would that be a big, like, a big thing? Like, oh, Muslims are being dumb again. They think yeah, God yeah, incarnate yeah. can make. Well, clay the argument birds. is that the argument is that it, oh, it means he must have copied from the Gospel of Thomas. And it's like, well, yeah. it's a bad argument. I mean, there's many documents that share textual uh, textual similarities that don't copy from each other, that account the same thing and don't copy from each other. I mean, isn't that like the entire point of Chronicles and Kings? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, like that is the entire point of existence. So, yeah. Okay, so um, <laughs> I had another thought since we're talking about uh, Muslim yeah. sects damning <laughs> each other. Um, <laughs> what, is, what is the uh, Islamic view on Christians in the afterlife? Ah, oh, that's a good question. So I had a verse about this. I just had I was just talking about this. Um, so there's a couple of views. Uh, the general view. So there's, I told you about this before a bit, where the P- Christians, Jews, and and a group that are called the Mandaeans, who don't really exist anymore, which is also sometimes the Zoroastrians and some specific sects of them, not all of them. Um, you read that on Sistani's website. He says Christian Jews and Zoroastrians. Sorry. Um, so they hold a specific, they, they hold a higher ranking than people who are downright disbelievers in jurisprudence. So for example, let's say you owned a meat market. Let's just say Mm -hmm. theoretically you had the militant Thomist meat market, right? And I wanted to go to buy some meat and a militant Thomist, knowing that there's a large population of Muslims where he's living, theoretically speaking, has, uh, imported himself some halal meat, right? That has been slaughtered according to Islamic laws. If you said to me, hey, Mr. Shia Alex, this here is halal meat. Uh, because you're a, of the people of the book, I would be able to just take your word on it. I'd be like, it's, it's, I'm not a trust you on that matter. I have no, 
it's not obligatory on me to research that, for example. It's not like for me, like, like, is it really halal meat? Like, if you're a Christian and you tell me you're a Christian, regardless of your beliefs, I'm allowed to accept it as halal meat and expect it. And if it's not halal meat, I'm, I'm sorry, but the sin falls on you. That's a bad. You shouldn't do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't lie about halal meat. It doesn't fall on me in that case. Now, if it was like a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Baha'i or a atheist or any of those groups of people and they did the same thing it would be obligatory 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 upon me to research if they were lying or not and also this is obviously barring like obvious like if you were obviously lying to me i wouldn't trust you like it was like i don't know hey alex this is a halal meat and it was out of a box of kroger hamburgers i'm like yeah i'm sorry christian that's obviously not halal meat you just had a box of kroger hamburgers that you're telling me it's halal meat but other than that it was an obvious thing i, I would have no obligation to check Okay. So the reason why I bring this up is because it's proof alongside of uh, a handful of, of verses in the Quran that at least some, at least some Christians and Jews are, um, and at least some historically um, are uh, granted uh, into heaven. So there you go. There you go. That's uh, very interesting. So uh, do you have any other uh, questions for me before we get into your last chart? Um. Let me think of a good question I have for you. Would you ever open a halal meat market? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I have a mind for business and uh, and marketing. So if I was in a high density Muslim place, uh, I think a Christian's halal meat market would be a actually that would be a terrible name for one. <laughs> I would definitely get like attacked or something if I was doing that. <laughs> Um, um, militant tome oh wait no that one's no yeah no no um uh, no crusader wagner's meat halal. market <laughs> wagner's actually, halal meat market <laughs> there you go um <laughs> i would uh yeah i mean i don't see any issues with it i don't know why uh, i wouldn't and i wanted to ask this is this is more of a as an interest as a you know as a, as a, as a not going to the question but more of a you know interesting personal question uh oh personal. what is your you know not that personal what is your what is like your like favorite um like uh section of the Summa? You gotta pick one. My favorite section of the Summa. Um yeah, and why? That, that's a hard one. In um, full sentences. I would say the uh, one about about one through forty about one through forty in uh, yeah. Prima Pars where it talks about the doctrine of God and then the doctrine of the Trinity. And especially uh, the, uh, as I said in a different stream, the um, article on Beatitude. Because that yeah, just yeah. like, every time it just gets to me, thinking about the, um, how God's eternal and intrinsic blessedness, that yeah. we, our final end is to participate in that blessedness and to become unified with that blessedness in the beatific vision. Like that just, just, destroys my brain every time i read that just thinking about um everything in this world that my my disordered passions seek um yeah actually find their orderly fullness in um in my final end which is the beatific vision so that that that's my two, my two-part question i also like um the treatise on law uh, from a more pragmatic point of view is very helpful when it comes to reading scripture and thinking about the moral life, do you um, and then own, obviously like, the treatise on uh, virtues. Do you own like uh, 
Dinsinger or like the 83 Canon of Council Law. This or count uh, not Canon of Council, like Canon of Catholic Law. Just curious if you own those two. Uh, I don't. I don't own the. Um, I don't own Denzinger or the. I, I don't uh, like when it comes to Denzinger. I don't really like um, like quote <laughs> books or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's just it. Wouldn't be of interest to me because yeah, yeah. That that's just not the way that I that I do things. But I mean, I have cracked it open on occasion when I'm trying to uh, when I'm trying to look up certain citations people make, and I have it digitally. So that's well. I mean, you've seen uh, you've seen Dyer's uh, extensive post-it notes in it, so that means he's a more you know readed <laughs> Roman Catholic. Yeah, there. I I have no post-it notes, no markings <laughs> in my summa. My summa my summa will stay pure. Well, let's be fair. Well, that's like four fifty, right? Four fifty like for the whole summa. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Each each one of my volumes are about sixty dollars, and there's ten of them, so six hundred dollars if you if you're gonna buy that. Can't, that I can't blame you. I do write like notes, like, like I have like you know like in you know I'm a big Shakespeare fan, and Shakespeare I write notes, but that's because of, like mm. a ten dollar book, you know, it's not like sixty yeah. bucks. You know, I can get away with that. I know, and then uh, the, these are books that are finely bound. So these are books I'm gonna literally pass on to my children. Yeah. <laughs> like if I if I have a I can't blame you for Lord that. Lord willing, Lord make it happen. If I have a son that becomes a Dominican friar, then he will <laughs> he will inherit his dad's summa with all of with no notes except written in the front, Christian Wagner, and then the date I bought it. That that is yeah. <laughs> okay. But also um, um also what's really good, um is the uh, treatise on the sacraments, which is going to be in uh, Tertia Pars and then into the Supplementum. That's yeah. really helpful when it comes to, because really the the Summa, like you need to, a lot of people, they, they read the Summa wrong. They say, oh, if you have a certain question or you want to read about a certain part of theology, then just read this little section of the Summa and you'll answer your question. They treat it like a source book. Yeah. But the Summa isn't a source book. It's Pretty a treatise. It's it's a treatise which is taking you from God proceeding yeah. to creation and then the fall and then back to God through the sacraments. It's and then definitely pretty cumulative. Final end. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it has this whole motion to it, like the Neoplatonic idea of procession mm-hmm. and receding. Like I even I, the, I, have, I, even I think like the... I think Thomas Aquinas was a Neoplatonist, <laughs> a huge Neoplatonist. <laughs> so well, so that's why I think it's it depends what you mean by Neoplatonist, but I get what you're saying. I mean he's he's a Neoplatonist in the same sense that I'm a Thomist. You know, I mean I'm a Thomist in like the general yeah. general mm-hmm. sense of like uh like I agree with natural law, I agree with divine simplicity, I agree with mm-hmm. that, but like do I agree with the incarnation of the sacraments? Uh, you know, I was gonna be better, but, <laughs> yeah. but I would say I want to say to, to, to recommend the again two books to you because I want to point this out as well. If you can get your hands on them, one of them is kind of hard to get your hands on physically, but you can get it digitally easily, and I can send it to you. The other one you can yeah. get digitally easily too, but you can get it way easier physically. That is, um, as I mentioned earlier, Sheikh Al Saduk's. Uh, if you wanted a good like just general like look into what shias believe about god just in the general sense it'll these are both hadith books by the way so they'll both have just like narrations they're very easy to read i'd say and then this book this is the uh, uh so let me kind of give some uh like i don't know pre i guess uh, like preamble to this so Shias don't use the same Hadith books as Sunnis do, quite infamously. I don't say quite infamously because a lot of Christians don't know that, but it's, I told you at least that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most important Shia Hadith book is a book called Al-Kafi. Al-Kafi in Arabic literally means the sufficient, right? 
it means uh, just like it, it, it's just called like it was. Well, it was written basically because a student had asked the author, whose name was Sheikh Kulani, what like can I have a book that's sufficient for most like most uh, areas of Islamic sciences? And it took him about twenty years to write it, but he responded with, "Here's the book, and it is all copy. It should be sufficient for you." Very Thomas kind of thing to do, in my opinion. I think about yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> some of his like literally his Compendium Theologiae, which is um, sadly described as Thomas's shorter Summa. It yeah. the crap out of me. It's really it's really doing something completely different than the Summa or the Summa Contra Gentiles is doing, or the commentary on the sentences. But he wrote it for Brother Reginald, which was um, yeah, yeah, which was his right hand man and one of his scribes, because he's like yeah. Brother Thomas. We want a. Uh, we want a nice collection of theology to read. He's like, here you go. And he died after he getting into book two, but book yeah, one yeah. is basically, is basically really yeah. all you need. And I think that's, that's something I'm going to use in the future to uh, teach, uh, teach out of, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. People, so, people write that. That's all to say people do stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. 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 So the book, I'll copy is a very long book. And in fact, it's, it's eight volumes long. Uh, it's about, um, about, what's the exact number? I have to look it up. Hold up. I'm going to look it up real fast. Uh, cause I can, I know it's, I can look at it really fast. Narrations and I'll copy the number. There is 16,199 narrations in al coffee. That means individual hadith is over 16,000 of them. Ah, that's um, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and most of the book is about, uh, so uh, it's structured this way. The first two volumes are about general, uh, they're about, uh, the first book is for, it's about intelligence and knowledge and ignorance. Then we'll get into the book we're talking about in a minute. And then it gets into the topics of like um, the oneness of God, which we'll get into. Um, it gets into, you know, who has divine authority. I, the chapter on like imams, uh, what is the Quran? Like things like, it gets into very specific things. <laughs> but the one book, that is most important for you to read, I'd say, if you wanted to get into the the belief yeah. of relates to divine simplicity, is the third book of the first volume, which is titled uh, very, uh, very, I guess, efficiently, uh, "God and His Oneness," wow. uh, uh, and it is. Oh, this book looks thick. This looks like a, it's a, and it's a kind of a thick book. This one's eight hundred pages. Now, that is with commentary. That's not with. That's not just it by itself. Although I would say if you were to get it, I would recommend getting this version with the commentary. It's very good. He explains a lot of things that are like translating philosophical terms in Arabic is a hellish nightmare that I have I'm, uh, utmost respect for anyone who attempts to do it. Um, it's, it's very difficult. But for example, like the topics cover, just to give an example, you know, on ability, on trials and tests, on trials and tests, on the divine wish and will, on there being nothing in the skies or earth, but through seven stages, which is about uh, a specific thing regarding the heaven. Miscellaneous on changes in God's degree, on the spirit, on the impossibility of God's movement and locomotion, etc. So this is kind of like these two books, I'd say, are the best like textbooks, so to speak, on uh, the oneness of God, specifically that aspect of Akida and Shia thought and 12 or thought. There you go. And I'll link okay. those to you because I'm a nice guy. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. I actually, if if it if it's not going to take me any more than like fifteen to twenty hours, I would I would actually yeah, be yeah. interested in in reading I think, I think some you could, get, you could get you could get definitely Kitabul Tohid unless that that time. 
You definitely could. Yeah, because I mean that's that's something very deficient. At least, because at least I, the I don't... super the super relevant chapters. At least you could yeah. like the ones that like because there's some that like 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 that are specifically like explanations of certain verses in the Quran that I'm not sure if like they're useful. Like they they do go on to like the same topic, but if you don't like aren't you would have to read those verses in the Quran. But I'm not sure if he up to you yeah. to do that. On the yeah, so it's like I I don't ever see myself as like being actively apologetic with Muslims, and yeah, I would just. That that's a whole vocation in itself, and I'm a dogmatician, yeah. not a not a uh, apologist, and I do not ever want to be an apologist. But um, one I, of the same. I history. think that would be I think that would be very helpful. Um, yeah. When when it comes to especially Muslim objections to Christianity, because that is something I will engage in, because that gets into yeah, dogmatic yeah. issues. Yeah. Okay, so there's a quick question right here. Uh, what is the Shia opinion regarding the Quran being uncreated? Quran with K, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's the you know, it's the Q. It's with the key. You spell it with the Q. If you spell it with a K, I will strangle you. Okay, it's because it's because there's a difference in Arabic between the two. Does it pronounce differently? Uh, I I'll read I'll read like John Henry Newman, and he'll call it like the Al Quran. Yeah, and I think Al so, just means the, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, 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 yeah. It means the. Yeah, that's what that's what. It means. It's also worse. So I speak French, um, not very well anymore, but I speak French, and in French they call it Al Quran with a C. That is truly terrible. <laughs> that was that's by far the worst. That was okay, by far so, the worst. Anyways, so what, honestly, is, what is the opinion? It's created. So um, in our so this is contrasted to the uh, the Sunni view. The Sunnis say it's uncreated. We say it's created um, for like eight like ADS reasons. You could imagine why. Um, because uh, yeah. if you say it's uncreated and eternal, and it's like the spoke, yeah, you you kind of get the uh, you get the gist of the argument, I think. So you would say that would be like an eternal opposite procession within the divine essence, maybe. No, we would say it's not eternal. No, no, say, with, the, with the eternal. Sunni, with the Sunni position. Oh, they would say Some it's like, a, like they, they would say it's quite literally eternally spoken. Hmm, this sounds yeah. interesting. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they it doesn't quite... Quran. What does Quran mean in in Arabic? Uh, it's, it's related to the word recita recitation. So the word it's kind of like it's kind of like a in, it's kind of like an Arabic eternal is... eternal word, yeah. which is which proceeds from the intellect within the within the divine no, essence. No, it sounds, no, stop, that, stop. This sounds like a very interesting <laughs> <Stop>. concept. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on to a different. Uh, different <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually. Um, I don't see any of the questions, but we got uh -oh. your last chart. Right oh, yeah, here. yeah, my last chart. Now, I want to point out, there is a mistake here with the Matarides. The Matarides uh, have a different view. Like, there's a mistake here with eternal hell. Regardless of the part about eternal hell, none of them believe that hell is eternal. We'll get, that gets kind of weird. With, well, they don't believe hell is eternal for believers. For disbelievers, they do believe it's eternal. Um, so, this is important to kind of understand the different, like, the. I'm going to go, I'm going to be addressing specifically Christians. I know he's talked to me about this. But this will help you understand like the del like the development and the, the basic concepts of the different groups, the main groups. There's another group called the Abadis. Um, if you really want to know what the Abadis think, uh, learn Arabic. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. they don't say anything in English. And they only exist in Oman. They're basically just uh, like Shias. But if you were like really hated the concept of Imama and you also like are like really against Istigatha. They're like a weird mixture of things. So the three main Sunni creeds are the Asharis, 
the Matarides, and the Asharis. The Asharis, like I said, they believe in a strict divine command theory. They believe in like strict divine command theory. They also believe in a very, very, very strict form of occasionalism. They're very like occasionalism is their that's probably if there's a single like thing that I'd say defines the Ashari and Matariji creeds, it's how much they emphasis they put emphasis on the idea of uh of um of uh occasionalism, of, of determinism. They're very hard from determinism determinism. They do what's called uh Tatwil. Uh, basically what that means is there's verses in the Quran that say things like um, the hand of God did this, right? Or the face of God, or the one that says the waistband of God, things like this, right? So how do you understand those verses, right? Um, that's a, that's a, one of the major differences in, in, the, in the different creeds in Islamic history. The Ash'aris, as the Shias will do, will say that it doesn't mean a literal hand. It doesn't mean like literally God has a hand. It means it's a it's a analogous to his power in that circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So quick question about that. Mm -hmm. So um so you'll get throughout the Christian tradition, even going back to uh to the fathers, and I was just reading a section on from a guy named uh Leonetius of Byzantium, which was in the sixth century. There's this idea of analogous language in uh in yeah. especially especially Thomistic thought, where um those terms such as God is a rock. It's talking about a yeah. certain created participation, which or uh, God walked in the garden, and yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. It's talking in uh, in human language about a certain created participation, which, when elevated, is applicable uh, to God. Is there a similar idea in Islam to that? When we would just say it. Islamic we would just say, yeah, we would just say when it says things like hand or whatever, and we apply it usually incredibly consistently, which is one way to show yeah. that's kind of true. Like whenever it says hand, it usually it means the same thing in, in like an analogous sense. And that's just okay, that it so means there's no, power. So literal. so uh, Muslims aren't literalists when, so when they read. We'll get, uh, the we'll Quran. get to, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to them. Okay. okay. Trust me, we'll get to them. Also, as we mentioned, the Asharis believe that the, the Quran is uh, uncreated, although they don't believe, um, I have done wudu, so for all the Muslims asking, I have done wudu. I should still be in a state of wudu, so I'm allowed to do this. Because you're not allowed to touch the Quran unless you're in a state of purity. This is an Arabic Quran, an Arabic with the Arabic text in it. I don't know if I can show it to you. The Arabic text is in it. This they wouldn't say this is uncreated for obvious reasons. Like I mean, it's quite obvious that this thing is not uncreated, right? It's contingent. So they, they they say that the in recitation and in letter form and sound and letter form, it's it's created. But that it's like a mirror, a reflection of an uncreated thing, basically. Um, and as said, they also all of them believe that um, that Muslims who die, who have more bad deeds than good deeds, do not stay in hell forever. They stay in hell temporarily, uh, in almost a purgatory type sense, and then they are uh, allowed to go to heaven. Based purgatory now, affirmers. The Matarides, the Matarides, uh, I'm not a specialist on Matariji Akita by any means. I'm just going to say what they believe, and I'm going to say that I don't know much about it beyond the like one or two things I do know about it somewhat. Like, for example, this first one. They say that uh, Taqween, or creation, is an attribute that's like uh, essential to God and eternally essential to God. 
Well, the Asharis would say it's external to God and it's not intrinsic. So God doesn't have to always be a creator in their view. Now, do the Mataridis deny creation ex nihilo? I don't think they do, but I don't honestly know how they work around that whole like linguistic issue. I'm not a specialist in their in their school of theology. Oh yeah, they, they believe that God's speech, so uh, the idea is that God spoke to uh, Gabriel and that when God spoke to Gabriel, like the idea, the difference is that that they would say that that speech is not hearable, like you can't hear it. It had it had to be like so, in some form of created, uh, like it had to be some sort of like uh, the speech itself. It was just a, uh, like an un uh, kind of mystic like mystical uh, uh, message sent to, Ga to, uh, to the angel Gabriel. It wasn't like he spoke to him in sound. Well, the Asharis will say he created sound, and that was the Quran. Uh, yeah, some of them also accept a level of more so than others of rational law theory, specifically rational laws, not natural law, rational law, which is kind of a different concept in the sense, in a sense here. And uh, like I said, eternal hell. Uh, the Atheries, this is the one you're talking about. This is this is where it gets interesting. So the Atheries, they reject that concept of Tatwil. So when they see the word hand of God in, in Quran, they, they affirm a literal attribute of a hand of God. Now, the this gets really complicated. The original Atheris, who are called the um, Hanabula, the Hanbalites, which gets, comp it gets comp complicated because it's also a school of jurisprudence because the same guy influenced both schools of theology and school of jurisprudence. His name is Ahmad ibn Hanbal. He believes that he believed that, not him, but like his a lot of his followers would go on to basically say that we basically they do what's called tafweed. They say that what it means, what the Arabic word yad, because they won't even translate the word yad or yadain, which means hand and hands, two hands. They will not translate those words. They'll say it's it's forbidden to translate them even. But that in Arabic, no one knows that the in this context what they actually mean. It's only known to God what is meant by hand. But that it is, in some sense, it is a true attribute. But they won't say like what that entails. Um, and in case you're wondering, yes, I do think it's a cope. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're very harsh. They're they're very serious about the eternality of the of the Quran. Like they take it extremely seriously to the point where they'll say, Ahmad ibn Hanbal has quotes where he says, "Anyone who doesn't believe the Quran is created is a kafir." Or everyone who believes the Quran is created as a kafir, and one who says the Quran is the speech of God but doesn't add uncreated is not doing enough. So he has a, he takes it very seriously. And also this rejection of what they would consider bidah hasana, uh, which would be literally means good invention. Bidah in Arabic just means invent, innovation, religious innovation. Hasana means like good. What this means is they don't accept concepts like uh, they, they have a very slow uh, acceptance to any new theological ideas. This usually applies in fiqh, but it's also implied in Hanbali Akita. I might get some slack for saying, putting it in the Akita section, but it does apply in their Akita. That's clear when you see things like their reaction to Sufism. Uh, anyways, then we have the modern groups I mentioned earlier. Um, the Salafis and the Wahhabis, which besides their, their positions on jurisprudence, which uh, enables them to be genocidal maniacs, unlike the mainline, the old traditionalist authorities, they affirm meanings. So they say that a hand does mean a hand, but that it's a hand unlike any other hand. Again, it's a cope, but you know, I'm not going to get into it. 
<laughs> it's just, it, yeah. Basically, they, they, they actually do affirm handness. They just don't say what it means to be a hand. Um, which means they're nominalists, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. You have to get into that. Uh, Shiism. So the three Shia groups. And I, I organize these based on, like, where, like, differences occur, kind of. So we have the, Zay the Zaydis. The Zaydis uh, are, they live in divine simplicity, natural law. Um, they reject the fifth imam. Uh, basically, uh, instead, they say a different guy should have been the imam. This is where most of the differences in Shiism come from. Where there's a difference in who between, you know, you have... Um, an imam, and you'll have two of his sons. We debated which one is the next imam, and that's where the Zaydis and the Ismailis come in. The Zaydis, also interestingly enough, they say after the first three imams, that is Imam Ali, -Islam, Imam Hassan, -Islam, and Imam Hussein, -Islam, after those three, they say they're not infallible anymore. So they say those three are the only infallible ones. The other 40 they have, genuinely 40 they have, are not, are fallible, and they also really only serve like a revolutionary political role. They don't serve the same religious role we see in Twelverism and Shiism and mainland Shiism. Uh, I'm not going to go over all the main points I've already mentioned in Twelverism, besides the doctrine of uh, Bada. Uh, to put it light, to put it like briefly, it just means that it literally means revealing the unrevealed. An example in the Quran would be something like. There's a point where Moses is revealed. Uh, uh, he'll he'll have 30 days in the desert at night. As revealed at first 30 days, and then 10 days are added on to it. Um, so what? And the, at first, that was seemed contradictory because they can only either be 30 or 40 days, right? But what's understood is that what was it was originally it's always been 40 days, but the unrevealed aspect of it wasn't revealed till later. And this operates in, in, in ways that are kind of too in-depth to get into uh, right now with how it relates to imamate. But uh, it just means that certain things can be revealed at different points. The Ismailis, these are the real, uh, these, are the, these are the interesting ones. Divine simplicity, they reject the seventh imam. Uh, that would be Imam Musa al-Qadim uh, and, and positing his brother Ismail ibn Jafar, who was dead, as a side note. Uh, we'll get into why they think that can happen. They're, they're very Neoplatonist, like Based. like very Neoplatonist. They're radically apophatic. Um, so also they, based. So they will say that literally. They, they will literally say it's impossible to describe God. That you cannot oh. even you can't you can't call, you can't call God just. You can't call God righteous. He transcends all. Literally, that's what I mean. Like radically apophatic. Oh they yeah. Believe he he literally transcends any cataphatic statements. Um, yeah, what, what's your take on that one? I'm going to take a break here. What's your take on radical apophatism, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a firm believer in the ability of cataphatic language uh, when it comes yeah. to God because of Neoplatonism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that um, created perfections are um, so so the fact that all things insofar as they have beings are not really beings per se and beings per se just means being per being. Um, it's not being in itself, but it's really being participated in eternal being. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, in God creating everything that is, has being insofar as good participates in eternal good. Therefore in um, thinking of and naming these things with, uh, with the denial of created imperfections 
and with the elevation of that language called the via eminence, um, we can have true statements about God. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not that. Uh, and I would I would argue that the Quran itself literally makes cataphatic statements. I mean, you could argue it's God making cataphatic statements, but it's still a cataphatic statement that it's true. It's about using God our language. It's using our language. So I don't get how they how they yeah. get around it. I mean, like the literally the first the first verse of the first surah of the Quran is Bismillahir uh, Rahmanir Rahim, right? In the name mm. of God, the Most Gracious, the Most Merciful. Um. Which you might be able to tell that the most gracious and the most merciful are necessarily cataphatic statements, right? <laughs> the most great, yeah. You can't uh, be apophatic in that sense. They have oh, we have a living oh yeah inherited imamate just like we do. Uh, they have a living imam. So do we. But what I mean by this in this context, they have an imam that's not an occultation. Their imams actually um, for the for the main group of Ismailis because it's also the Bokras, but they're so small that I don't feel like including them because they're kind of tiny. They have the Dais who are like imams, but not imams. But the main ones who are called the Nazaris literally have an imam. You can look him up right now and see what looks like. His name is Aga Khan the Fourth. Um, he's kind of a goofball. <laughs> I'll put it that way. He's kind of a. Um, if you think it's hard to submit to Francis, buddy, I'll tell you something about Aga Khan the <laughs> Fourth. Uh, he likes to prance around on yachts with women in bikinis. Uh, as you might know, not an Islamic thing to do. Uh, anyways, moving on. They also believe the Imam has the ability to abrogate the Sharia. So they they believe the the Imam has the ability to basically change. Uh, dogmas that are established in islam and to some degree practical dogmas so like prayer they have a different prayer than everyone else does things like that yeah so um with <laughs> i i needed to look up this reference real quick yeah. but for uh for the catholics out there you cannot be a you cannot be a radical um uh, <laughs> epiphatic guy what, what are they called uh ish ishmaelis you cannot yeah, be it's, it's ishmaeli on this issue yeah, because the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 41, says all creatures bear a certain resemblance to God, most especially <laughs> man created in the image and likeness of God. The manifold perfections of creatures, their truth, their goodness, their beauty, all reflect the infinite perfection of God. Consequently, we <laughs> can name God by taking his, cre his creatures' perfections as our starting point. So uh, there you go. You can um, not do it. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Uh, and I'm uh, sure uh, we can agree on that. Uh, actually, yeah, yeah. do, do uh, Muslims believe that man was created in the image and likeness of God? Uh, it depends what you... Uh, not really. I mean, it depends. Not in the Christian sense of it, at least. Not in the Christian sense oh, okay. of it, at least. So let but, uh, me... Let um, me see. There was another question, I thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. I oh. see Holy Smokes in the chat. Shout out Holy Smokes. Question. Like, are you vaping? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Is that... Uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, ha, something. Haram. haram. Is it Haram? haram. It is haram to vape. Yep. Oh, oh wait, no, that's not a good thing. I forgot. <laughs> it's a bad means... thing. Okay. Haram means dispermitted. Dispermitted. Halal means uh, permitted. So that's the difference. There's there's uh, five what are called uh, hukum or rulings. I'll go through them just for the sake of for clarifications. Mm -hmm. Haram, which means just like downright dispermitted. You're not allowed to do it. Makru, which means uh, like like disapproved, like you're not supposed to do it, but you theoretically could. Um, like uh, I'm gonna show you an example of a makru. So for um, what's an example of a makru action that's not like weird? Uh, 
I don't you know. mentioned one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We mentioned one last night that we could talk. About. We're not gonna mention on the stream. Uh, <laughs> muba, muba, which means like, 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 uh, neutral. Like it means like, like I guess it's breathing right now. It's muba. Like there's no ruling. I guess it's, it's a, it's you know recommended or not. And then the last one is recommended mustahab, which means like recommended often. So for example, uh, mustahab would be like, um, there are you know Muslims pray five times, right? There are mustahab prayers. So prayers that are. Yeah. Like are that are recommended. They're not like required. Oh yeah, and the last one is actually wajib. My bad, wajib, which means obligatory. So like praying is wajib. It's obligatory upon you to pray. Or mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, a zakat charity is wajib. There you go. Okay. So do you have any questions for me? Because I'll have to get going soon. I eventually need to do that stream on. <laughs> yeah, we've been over. We've been over almost two hours. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The only other thing, um, I guess more of a comment, really, is that uh, it's been great. I love being mm -hmm. on here. It's awesome. Great guy. Great dude. Um, great bookshelf. Uh, as you can tell, as, as I said, you, you only, the only thing your bookshelf is missing is that tiny ladder that Michael Lofton's bookshelf has. The one that never moves. Yeah, yeah. The one that Jay Dyer <laughs> thought was proof that he doesn't read his books. That one, yeah. That one's amazing. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, I love to come back. Oh, I just wanted to say I saw uh, Holy Smokes in the chat. Shout out Holy Smokes, great, uh, great. I saw your, uh, I saw your interview. Uh, your yeah, interview with him. It was a great interview, uh, and it's insightful. I saw your interview with um, Louis Dizon as well. I was really well. I was really uh, well, uh, really well done in terms of from a. If you're going to, I've said this before in like DMs to uh, to Christian, where it's like if you're going to make a apologetics against Islam, I don't really care because I, I I know what's true and I know what's not true in my opinion. Um, but just don't make like stupid arguments. Like they just don't make bad arguments. You know, if you're gonna yeah. make an argument, at least make it like like don't make it so I can like if I can if I can Google the premise of your argument and like hundreds of results come up, it's probably a bad argument. You know. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, you know, it's why that's why every classical theist scoffs every time they hear, uh, have you heard of a modal collapse before? You know, it's like the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same kind of, you know, reasoning here, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's that, that's all I have to really say. Yeah, I don't really have any questions or comments besides that. Well, uh, thank you for being on. Definitely, um, yeah. if you think about anything else you'd like to talk about or if I think of any uh, Muslim issues, <laughs> yeah. because because I am not what? learned in Islam. Yeah. This was a good introduction to just getting the various schools together. But um, yeah, yeah, I'd like to when hear the, more the, specifically the six about hour, yours. The six-hour video on Nostra Ayatate is coming soon. Coming to the <laughs> Six hour live stream. I can tell you I can tell you what I think about Shia Alex's uh prayer life yeah. <laughs> from a Catholic point of view. Yeah. For six hours. We'll go through every aspect of prayer. We'll break down it in, in depth, both the Catholic and Muslim aspect of prayer, every step. Wudu, Ghusl, Tayamum, the whole thing. We'll go through every step. Everything required to do prayer, okay, so... prayer. <laughs> every everybody everybody uh listening right now um thank yep. you for watching it looks like a lot of you guys really enjoyed uh this stream um if you really really enjoy and i know we have a lot of visitors here um if you would click that subscribe button i do um occasionally do stuff that might be of interest of you i mean there's general classical <laughs> theist stuff that you would enjoy and there's also um muslim issues i'll i'll, I'll discuss them occasionally 
a little more frequent recently, but um, so hitting that subscribe button definitely helps me out a lot. Even if you just, even if you just mute me, <laughs> just to get that number up, just as a psychological uh, tool. And also, uh, if you'd like to uh, join the Discord, I'll put that in the chat. She, Alex, is actually in the Discord. I think hey, he's nice our. To me. If they're nice to he, me, they can be nice yes. to you. <laughs> yes, he's he's. I think you're the only Muslim we have in there. I think the I'm only, the only uh, non-Christian. I think you're the only non-Christian we have in there, yeah. except the Protestants. Just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> So uh, that's that's all. And then if you if you really really loved uh, love this uh, patreon.com slash militant Thomas that really helps me out because I will eventually want to quit my job. So this would help me a lot with that. Eventually uh, write longer treatises and uh, do it do even more work for you guys. So thank you for being here, Alex, and I will talk to all of you guys later. See ya, and God bless. Glory.